Building Services Engineering is a very niche and technical specialist area. Many people who go into the industry regardless of discipline or expertise didn't decide to go into it when they were coming out of school. However, now in the industry they face challenges, they still go ahead and develop fascinating careers and they see things that are changing for the future in building services. Building services are those essential items that go into a building making it habitable. Think of electricity, mechanisms to control the temperature, the quality of air, energy efficiency and fire safety. These are only a tiny element of the essential services in building services engineering. There's so much more detail. As you can imagine, the dynamic of the technical challenge will vary from a block of flats to a shopping centre to a hospital and even an operating theatre. Throughout the podcast, we'll be talking to professionals inside and outside building services engineering, including consulting engineers, contractors, suppliers, manufacturers and developers alike about their career, how they manage work-life balance in a demanding role, the current challenges and future trends in a forever developing and demanding industry. This podcast is engineered by Responsum Global, a specialist building services recruitment business. You can connect with us on all social media platforms and if you like this podcast, please subscribe and give it a review, hopefully a great review but definitely an honest one. Most of the people we meet will come through our line of work and have given us so many detailed insights into the industry, so you'll be in great company. Welcome back everyone for another episode of the Building Services Podcast. Thank you once again everyone for, for joining me and I have with me another very special guest who I'm excited to hear from and I think the topic that he's going to touch on is going to hit home with a lot of businesses who are concerned about in, in building services terms pumping the project pipeline and that's a, that's a really big worry. So I've got with me Bernard Savage who is uh, an expert in business development and marketing and he has a small element of his business which is very dedicated to property and construction so Bernard's here with me today and for some reason he really wanted me to mention his favorite football team Manchester United so <laughs> over to you Mohammed we Mohammed we don't know each other that well but we could really fall out over this you know this could be the end of a beautiful relationship but uh, just to let you know the listener I am a Mansfield Town supporter. End of. <laughs> okay, we'll, we'll we'll leave it at that, Bernard. Um, bit of a bit of an icebreaker there, but do you, do you mind giving us a little bit of an insight into who you are, what you do, and just a little bit about you, really? Okay. Well, let's stick briefly with the football theme by way of introduction, because I would describe my career very much as a game of two halves, Mohammed. So the first half, I worked in a very different environments, blue chip organisations as a Potter and Gamble and Shell. I then moved into the legal sector, if I'm entirely honest, by, by kind of accident um, as a marketing director at a law firm called Evershed. Um, but actually it was that accident and um, that sort of led me on quite a different path. So in the second half of my career, over the last 15 years or so, I've worked within the professional services and more specifically, um, 2005, I set up my own 
specialist business development agency, again with a football theme called Size Ten and a Half Boots. Um, and we're set up to work exclusively within the profession. So our client base, our clients are predominantly law firms, accountancy practices, but the nature of uh, law, particularly because the commercial property, property construction is such a big part of, of um, business law that I found myself increasingly working with surveyors and architects and other property professionals, engineering consultancies, hence the connection with um, building services. So that's where the interest is. It, it's a sort of, it's almost happened by accident, but a nice accident, I should say. You know, it's, a, it's the same thing for me. Um, I, I qualified in, in a cybersecurity related degree and ended up in recruitment and then focusing in building services. So um, it wasn't by choice. Well, it wasn't forced either, but it wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't a choice. It's all part of life's rich journey, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, what, why property and construction? What, what's, what, why the focus? Um, I think there's probably three aspects to that. One of them is, you know, if I was being facetious, I could say it, it shows me because I work with, with a lot of law firms and with commercial property being such a big part of that, it just sort of happened quite naturally. But I think there's a couple of other reasons too. One of them is, it's a genuine personal interest that I've got. My, my, my best friend, as it happens, is he's an urban planner. Um, so, you know, I spend a lot of time listening to him with his, with his tales uh, um, related to um, building services and design. I'm interested in um, physical environments. And really, that's the third, I suppose, the third part of it is during my many, many years ago, I did a psychology degree, but I actually specialised in occupational psychology and ergonomics so at quite a young age I, I, I became interested in not just the sort of um, buildings in terms of structures but, but how you can create an environment to live or work that's actually conducive to personal's well, personal well-being, fulfilment. I, I think design, I think buildings are really important for me, it's so much more than functionality so you know it's a combination of personal and professional. Mm. It's interesting you you brought uh, wellness into it because well, my I've got two earlier episodes on health and well-being, and um, despite you know some of them, one of them was a building services expert and the other one's a, a professional coach. None of them made the link between buildings and wellness. Well, I mean, without getting too deep and getting get, getting into politics, you know, I'd go as far as to say. Um, you look at different cultures, you look at different countries and you look at how their, their respective approach to uh, buildings and design and you look at, you know, people's happiness and sense of fulfillment and there is a correlation there. And I, I you know, like I don't want to be knocking the UK because I'm, I'm British myself and I've lived here all my life and there's, there's lots of things I like, but I think we could, we could learn at times from, um, overseas and what other uh, nationalities other cultures do in terms of how they use public space how they use building sense of community i mean just as an as a, as a for instance when i was a child i i was always quite fond of um you know, traditional markets because i saw that markets were a hub for people to congregate i, I think it, it's good for sort of social cohesion society and I look at the way things have gone in you know in, in more recent years with out-of-town supermarkets and you see the sort of the, the breakdown of the nuclear family and people people are increasingly disconnected from one another and 
particularly for the elderly, those opportunities they had previously, I'm obviously talking pre-coronavirus here, but where people were able to um, mix and engage with others, the market, markets were a great place. And um, I do think we've lost something. And I, I just wonder whether when we come out the other side of, of this pandemic, we look at the high street and some of the big issues that we face and they need addressing, whether we might perhaps, I hope, actually go back, take some, we might revisit the whole concept of town, uh, you know, markets as a way of, of sort of building social capital. Yeah. No, I agree. I agree. It's, um, I think when you put, you've got to consider everything holistically at the end of the day. And uh, I think without realising, it's quite easy to, to miss a certain area. And, and I think that's why uh, everything in property and construction has so many small specialist disciplines because you, you, you need the people there to have their focus. But um, I'm going to jump straight in then into the, the yeah. meat of this topic. So yeah. right now there is a little bit of a, of a worry. And I think, I think with lockdown measures easing, it might have lifted the worry a little bit, but there still is a certain level of scarcity with workflow. Yeah workloads yeah. and are in from the conversations that i've had with uh, consultants pumping the project pipeline is one of the biggest worries at the moment yeah with i'm i'm hearing news of people being made redundant from various size yeah. companies for for the for that reason alone um so you know while companies are still planning to get their heads around the new normal make their way back into the offices how are they meant to balance business development with that and get it yeah. right? Yeah. Okay. Where, where do we start? Well, I think the, the first thing to say is that um, you know, there is much more to business development than going to events. I think that often people have quite um, a limited, misguided even view of what business development is. Um, in the absence of any sort of traditional networking or going to events, there is still an awful lot that you can do um, to, be, to be visible in the marketplace. And I think that the, the key point here is that ultimately it's about relationships. And for me, the, you know, the place to start is to, um, more than anything else, the number one priority for, for everyone should be um, to make sure they're visible and to protect their existing relationships. You know, if somebody's instructed you in the past, um, irrespective of what's going on in the world at the moment, they are more likely than others to instruct you in the future. And if not instruct you, they're in a position to refer work to you. Even if they're not in a position to refer work to you, they are in a position to um, perhaps make introductions for you or to add value in some way. So I think that's, that has to be the starting point. Now, how do you go about investing in relationships when clearly um, there is a limit to, to, to what you can do? But I would argue there's still a lot that you can do. And I think um, this is the time to adopt a much more structured, professional, rigorous, disciplined approach to using telephone and video conferencing platforms. Now, you know, I don't know about you, Mohammed, but you know, I don't mind admitting before the lockdown, my experience of video conferencing and webinars was pretty limited. I mean, I, I, I had used them before, but it, it's been a very steep learning curve over the last eight weeks, I would say. I don't, it's, well, over the three months, but certainly in particular over the last eight weeks, I've done an awful lot more of this. Um, 
And to me, you know, what I've seen is that, you know, video conferencing is a far superior tool to emails. And it, I would argue it's a better tool than the telephone too. It, it's not perfect. It has its limiting factors. But I mean, just look at this conversation that you and I are having now. Um, we, it, this would be much tougher to do without this platform. You know, we, we, the, 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 um, the social distancing limitations are not stopping us doing this podcast. So that's why I'm starting. It's about a structured approach. What it isn't about is just picking up your little black book, working your way through the numbers, phoning people up who are busy, they're stressed, they've got other you know, considerations, not just business considerations. They're, perhaps they've got young children uh, under their feet. You might be able to relate to that, Mohammed. Uh, or they, they might be caring for, might be shielding, sick, elderly relatives, et cetera, et cetera. And so when, I, when I'm talking about the phone, I'm talking about, people doing some desk research, being very focused, identifying perhaps 10 or 12 people that they've worked with in the past, either not necessarily clients, could be introducers, intermediaries, referrers, other professional contacts, and then making a commitment that over the course of the coming months, not that they're just going to phone them up and say, hello, it's a catch-up call, but they're going to think and they're going to invest in those relationships. And I think, you know, now is the time, if people aren't doing this already, and hopefully they are this is the time to create goodwill this is the time that for that 10 or 12 individuals that have the potential at least to create opportunities for you that you really put yourself forward and you and you think well what can i do to add value now maybe you're not necessarily getting paid for that but i would argue strategically that's a sensible thing to do because people do have long memories and i'm a great believer that if you do the right thing and it's, you've got to be considered, you can't do the right thing for everyone because there aren't enough hours in a day and frankly, it wouldn't pay you to do that. But I think in a targeted way, the number one thing people should be doing is picking up the phone and getting closer to the people that they have had some contact with in the past. And my experience over lockdown has been actually quite a positive one with regards to the people that I have picked up the phone to, the people that I've scheduled conference calls to, people that I've known previously I'm now getting to know them better. I'm now getting to them more on a personal level. And I think, I mean, just some of the conversations you and I have had kind of off outside of this podcast, Mohammed, around one of the things that's changed during the lockdown is our homes, we're now more, everything's a bit more open. So you're, in, you're communicating with people, you're getting a small insight into their personal lives, whether it's the children under their feet or whether it's the, uh, where they've got their working, where they've got their set up at home, um, et cetera, et cetera. And I think all of, that mean, all of that means that we're getting to know people better, we're building trust. And I think actually, ultimately, it's very healthy for business. So that would be my starting point. How, how, how is that going to translate into business? Because at the end of the day, you're, yep. uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about this from, from the way you've yep. just described it. You know, you're, there's someone who's a client or a potential yep. client. They're busy. Yep. They're stressed out. Yep. I, 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 I struggle to... Uh, justify making a 20 minute phone call as a, yes. as a catch up, like, like yeah. you just me mentioned. Yeah. Um, what, how does that make into practical steps? Because if, you, yeah. if you're not engaging with the potential yeah. customer, client, and so on, um, how, how is that pumping the project pipeline? So, I, I think the first thing to say is that I believe that within a business to business environment, 
business development done effectively is not about a one-off intervention. It's not about a one-off activity. It's no different to going to a networking event and expecting to come back with work. I just don't believe it, it happens like that. So I think that's the first point is understanding that business development is about a series of small steps over a period of time. Now I can't define how long that period of time is because you could be talking days, weeks, months, or even years in some cases. Yeah. So I think that's the first point. For me, what we should all be striving to do in our conversations is to be getting a small commitment. I think it's about focusing on, it's about nudging a conversation forward. The government do this, um, public bodies do this in trying to change our behaviours. So for example, um, you know, the government in its attempt, um, any government's attempt to try and get us to um, have healthier lives, they break things down to very small bite-sized steps. And it's the same here. I think in the conversations we have, what we should be striving to do is to try and get some small, some small commitment. So that, that's, that's the first point. I think the second point to make, and this is going to vary amongst listeners, but for many people that are listening to this podcast, for those people that get involved in formal procurement, I mean, do you have any feel for how many people percentage-wise would get involved in more sort of tender documents, that sort of thing? Probably, probably they all will do in, in, in so, at some some point or some stage. Right. Well, where there's any degree of formality about procuring services, um, I would argue that having a relationship is the is the biggest determinant of success. Now, having a relationship alone won't be enough. But I think that when someone, let's just take an engineering consultancy as a for instance. When an engineering consultancy is pitching for work, the buyers of those services, they have alternatives. They, they probably know two or three other engineering um, consultants who could, all, who could do an equally as good job. From their, that, that's their perspective. So I would argue that unless there's a relationship, you're in danger of commoditizing what you're doing. If you commoditize what you do, you're selling on price. Well, that's a mugs game, because if you sell on price, there'll always be somebody who will do it cheaper. Mm. So uh, the, the reason that I believe in, that in a targeted way you should invest in relationships is that firstly, it makes it more likely you're going to win when there is an opportunity because, you know, there are a lot of people who purport to offer similar services. So you've got to have an edge. And I don't believe an edge is because people like your website or because your brochures are shining. I just, I'm sorry, I refuse to accept that gives you a commercial edge. I think what gives you a commercial edge more than anything else is having the in with somebody. It's, a, it's having an established relationship. You know yourself, when if somebody wants a favour, there are some people you'll give a favour, there's some that you won't. You'll make excuses and you're, you're busy. Um, so I think by investing in relationships in a targeted way, you are, you are doing all that you can do within your power to position you and your business in the strongest possible position when there is an opportunity you win it so that's that's one thing i would say mm. i think the second thing to say is that within the broader property and construction market undoubtedly well, i don't think i'm saying anything too too outlandish to predict there's going to be fewer opportunities in the year ahead a lot yeah. of markets in which people are operating and they're going to be contracting so if the size of the cake is getting smaller, what you should be focusing in is getting a bigger share of that cake. And, 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 and I believe the way to get a bigger share of a cake is around being visible in a very targeted way, being very focused. 
I think sometimes, and this happens particularly during an economic downturn, because people are worried and because people are, there's a lot of fear, um, people have, it become desperate. And when people become desperate, they do silly things. They start to becoming unfocused. And I personally hold the view that increasingly buyers of professional services, whether those are building services or whether they are marketing services, whether they're legal services, they want experts. They want people that they perceive understand the nuances of their particular world. And so I think the two critical success factors, one are relationships. If you don't know someone, I think your chances of winning it are really slim unless they just buy on price because you're so cheap that they don't really care. That's a possibility. But that, as I said already, that's not a sensible strategy. That usually the second some companies sorry. also weigh in though, isn't it? Well, it depends what your business model is, doesn't it? You know, if you've got an EasyJet or Ryanair business model, then then fine. But how many how many companies within the building services market can afford to um, undercut any more? Now, this is a sector that already, you know, and I, you know, this sector better than I do, Mohammed. But I know that if you take architects as an example, um, architects typically don't don't get the same profit margins that certainly commercial property solicitors have done historically. Now that might be changing a little bit, mm. but you, to, to commoditize what you do is really, really dangerous, really dangerous indeed. So one relationship. The second thing is where I think there is an opportunity, there's risk, but I think there's an opportunity too, is to be more sector focused because I, I think as buyers, as consumers today, or as uh, buyers of um, business services, we increasingly buy specialists, not generalists. I, I listened to one of your previous podcasts, Mohammed, and you had a, a GP, and I apologize because I can't remember the GP's name, but he was very interesting. If you take medicine as a, as a for instance, you know, historically, you know, our sort of parents' generation or generation before them, they would have seen general um, med they would have, they were some general practitioner, their family GP, it's a very special person, they put them on the pedal store and, and they would be like the go-to person. Well, increasingly today, we go to a GP to get a referral to a specialist. You think about television, um, we, we, we become a society that's all about specialization, everything's fragmented. You know, youth culture, I can't think of, I can't think of a single instance in society that hasn't become more fragmented you know um, we all belong to our respective tribe and niches now the opportunity within building services for, in terms of creating a pipeline is I believe if people have the confidence to identify two or three niche areas where they had a strong story to tell because they've worked for other organizations or other individuals that have that same specialism I think one, they're more likely to win work, and two, they can charge more money for it. They can charge a higher price point because then when people are comparing one, um, I don't know, uh, security expert to another security expert, when the one particular security expert says they've got a lot of experience of dealing with, I don't know, um, schools, then another school will naturally be more inclined to instruct them, not because of the quality of the security, but because they get the reassurance that they worked for, they've done security for schools before, which they will perceive has, I don't know, special considerations. I, mean, I don't know. I'm, I'm going into an area I don't really understand. But do you follow my drift? Mm. 
I get that. I get that. I think it's just a case of, you know, an expert is an expert. If you're the only expert in that particular field, then you're going to get all the work in that particular field. So absolutely. But people are, people are often afraid to do this because they think, well, that, you know, there isn't much work out there. I don't want to exclude other opportunities. But my message to people is have a bit more self-belief. Only pick niches where your story is really strong. Now, if, if you look at, you know, why are you and I having this conversation today? There's only one reason. And I don't believe it's because of marketing and business development. Now, you're taking it as a given that I can add value and, and talk knowledgeably about marketing and business development. But the real reason, your primary driver for um, initiating contact with me, which I'm really pleased you did, was because you had some degree of assurance or confidence that I would understand some of the nuances of the property services market. It's the same for you in your business, your recruitment business. There are thousands of other recruitment consultants. But the reason that people would want to engage you and your, your company is because they would have the confidence, the reassurance that you understand the specific nuances of their industry. And that, that helps mitigate risk for people. Trying to make this a bit more real, more specific, I suppose, to sort of uh, property construction. Just thinking as a, consu as a private individual with um, you know, a, a family and thinking about a residential property, if I wanted to... Um, have a conservatory, which I think that's something my wife, she wants a conservatory. So let's just imagine that miraculously the money appears and we're going to have a conservatory. I, and I don't know, but I strongly suspect my starting point for finding someone to do that job wouldn't be a, a general tradesperson. It wouldn't be a builder. It would be, my research would be about who builds conservatories. Now, if you look at it technically, you could be cynical and say, well, it doesn't make any bloody difference because any builder can build a conservatory. It's just a building with some, I don't know, I don't know much about conservatories. You know, now, but, that, um, now that we're having this conversation, when you go on your social platforms later today, you're going to get adverts for conservatories. You know that. <laughs> well, just to manage people's expectations, um, I think we're... Um, this isn't something that's going to be happening in the, in, in the savage household in the next four weeks. Let's put it like that. But those are the key things for me. Number one, relationships. Number two, some sort of sector focus. And if I could just say one, add one more thing to that, Mohammed. Um, whilst I, I do believe, and I'm not backtracking on this, that relationships come first and it's focus and people we know, I recognise that people want to... They want to, they want to nurture new relationships. They want to find new clients as well. I get that. And I think one of the opportunities for people that's becoming, uh, that's really, it's existed for a long time, that's becoming a bigger and bigger opportunity is content. What I mean by content is that could be written content, it could be video content, it could be something like this, a, a podcast, it could be a webinar, it could be a, a virtual round table with some experts. You could have an engineering consultant, a surveyor, and an architect, and a solicitor talking about. I don't know, where's the property and construction market going to go? So I think when you create content, it's really powerful because it helps you position yourself as a thought leader in your particular area. And the other great thing about content is with an understanding of social media and digital platforms, it's a very efficient way to get your message out in a targeted way to a broader audience. If you think about traditional BD, which was Right, we're going to go to the Chamber of Commerce and we're hoping we're going to bump into somebody who's going to, who wants a conservatory, <laughs> to yeah. use that example. 
you know what the reality is. You go to the networking event, there's 50 people there. You'll only talk to five out of 50. Of the five, one will be a weirdo, two will be your biggest competitors. So you'll be polite with them, but they're not going to instruct you. Uh, how does that, how many does that lead? Two people. Um, one of the other two people, you get on well, but they always instruct your competitor, so you're wasting your time. You're left with one person out of 50. Now, if you think about content, if you create good content that um, resonates with your target audience and they find it because you're using social media in the right way, that you, you're, you know, you're, you're now out to work the system, if you like, you're able to get content however niche your product is. I mean, arguably, even more so if you've got a very, very niche product, it's relatively easy. You know, I've only got to type um, conservatory specialists and in a, in, a, in a nanosecond, I've got people that probably live within, I don't know, five minutes from my house. Yeah. I'm not going to tell you where my house is either because I'm worried already I'm going to be besieged with people tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> You're get a so content, I think, is really powerful. Really powerful. Mm. Do you do you think they're the two uh, they're the two ingredients? Then I mean, you you put it in slightly different words, but I'm I'm understanding it differently. Where people should get to know you as a person, and you need to be able to uh, give advice to your clients. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, I think you've articulated it very clearly. Um, I don't want to be misunderstood here. I think, and I don't want to talk in sort of marketing theory, but just very, very briefly and oversimplifying the theory. The first part of a process has to be people have to know you exist. Now, if people don't know you exist, then that's, you know, that's number one. Number two, they've got to like you. And again, I don't want to, I hope this doesn't come across as, as me being rude to you, Mohammed. but the reason that, uh, for me, I get quite a lot of um, people who approach me and, and talk about potential, you know, mutual benefits and potential collaborating on different things. And a lot of them, they go, don't go any further at all. The reason that um, our conversation went further was because once you've made yourself known to me, I liked you. I mean, and genuinely, I like your style. That was the reason that, that I was keen to, you know, collaborate with you. So I think you've got to know people, you've got to like them, but that alone isn't enough. The next bit is you've got to add value. Just liking somebody, you know, I might like somebody because they follow Mansfield Town, but that's only going to take them so far. They've got to add value. So I think in our professional relationships, you have to demonstrate to people, once they know you and like you, that you really can add value. And what I mean by add value, which is really important, I don't mean simply, oh, yeah, you can do your job. That's, that's kind of basic level. I'm talking about something else. I'm talking about people that you know they care they go the extra mile they they bring something else to the party they share their professional network with you they they just do more than the minimum i i don't think it's acceptable in you know 2020 and, and 2021 and beyond that for for anybody within the building services community that i don't believe it's going to be enough just to do your job well yeah. i think this is a bit of a wake-up call you know um I think it was probably historically enough. I don't believe it is anymore. It's a much more competitive environment, and that's before the coronavirus. This just makes it even harder. Do you, uh, do I think you have to add value. I think. Do you, do you think that's what upturns and down to up upturns and downturns just naturally bring? Where an upturn is going to uh, have 
a boost of companies who deliver good work and a boost of companies who deliver bad work as well, surprisingly, because uh, they're, they're going to be able to win the work because there's a surplus amount of it. And then as it begins yeah. to die down, there's only yeah. a handful that are going to survive. And regrettably, uh, it's not the good ones that will. I agree with you. I agree. Them. I mean, I'm not going to name names, as I'm sure you're not going to name names, but just take, let's take the retail sector as a, for instance, and I'm obviously not going to be very specific here, but, and it's really sad, you know, genuinely, it's very sad when any, any business doesn't succeed. Um, and, and I'm absolutely not saying, um, yeah, every, every business that, 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 that fails, there's a story, but if you're brutally, if you kind of hard and look at some of the facts, We'll look at the retail, look at the retailers that, that aren't succeeding. They're not the best retailers, or they, they might have been 10 years ago, but in terms of where the market is today and what consumers' needs and requirements are, they're not matching them. And all of us, whether you're a retailer, whether you're a surveyor, whether you're a, have to be in tune with the needs of the market at that particular point in time. And I think in an awful lot of businesses, Particularly, arguably, sometimes bigger businesses because it's it's harder for them to change. If you're a small business, you can adapt. Okay, you might not have the resources, but actually, you can change your business model much quicker. It's very hard for some of the, you know, the corporates to change their. You can't change a culture like a light switch. It's not possible. So you know, perhaps trying to turn this into a positive. Perhaps this could be quite an exciting and positive sign. The small businesses within the building property services uh, world, if and this big if, if you if you if you adapt, and that's the key thing. And, and sadly, some people will not adapt. That some people within this sector will have a view, well, we'll just wait till the nonsense is finished and be business as usual. I think that's really naive and could be commercial suicide. Yeah. I think that you've got to look at this. Is the time. This situation is forcing all of us, and I include myself in this, to look critically at our business model and say, is this fit for purpose in, in the new world and where, where we're going to? You know, do I understand, am I embracing technology? Again, I don't want to overdo the, the retail um, comparisons, but it was in the news today. I'm not gonna, again, I'm not going to talk specifics, but it was talking about a retailer collapsing today and the fact that you know, people are moving from bricks and mortar to online. That's just one example. Um, you know, within the office environment, it's about designing offices that that reflect the people, reflect the fact that this isn't 1982 anymore. You yeah. know, um, people have got different requirements. Younger people, again, we're not wishing to stereotype too much, but I know from my own, you know, millennial children, their expectations, what they're prepared to do and not to do, is very, very different to what my expectations were when I started out in my career in 1990. You know, my, my model when I started my career was, it was just a very strong work ethic. You do whatever you need to do. You just, you just get your head down, you put in all the hours, you just, you do everything. You do exactly what your boss says and more. That's not, that's not what my children do. No. Um, they want to find a shortcut. That's all. Sorry. So they, want, they want to find a shortcut, but I don't see that as a bad thing. I see that as a good thing because they, they usually end up finding an, a more efficient way of, yeah. of getting the results. And it's fair. It's fair. Yeah. yeah. Don't tell them that, but you're probably right. Um, we're, well, we're all of us, I, I don't know. We, we, yeah, I don't want to get too deep, but human beings are creatures of habit. Um, and so as human beings, as, as individuals, we justify our decisions. We, 
we we believe there is a way of doing things and we're hardwired we that is what we do and it's, it's quite difficult to change and it actually it takes something like a pandemic or sometimes a personal a significant personal event to force us to reflect and think and one of the things that i've heard from so many people over the course of the last three months is they said to me they're you know they're, they're properly thinking about what they want out of life they've, they've been made to, to realize about you know what's important perhaps perhaps i don't need to earn as much money perhaps it's better spending more time at home mm. up until three months ago my normal working week was, was on the road four days out of five every week of the year um so every week i'd be away two or three nights a week sometimes even more and that was just i just thought that was normal because i haven't done any of that for three months i don't think it's normal at all now i actually now i'm thinking that was madness mm. and look how much time i spent on commuting and moaning about trains and how much money i was spending um you know uh, not going to get into specifics but in our business our income has been affected by um this uh, crisis however the flip side is our costs have gone down significantly so we're a small business of this you know there's two and a half of us and we're saving easily a couple of thousand pounds a month just on travel and i don't know cafe nero and preta bloody monje um you know what you can have lunch without going to preta monje i never realized that until uh, coronavirus i just a little bit <laughs> just need a bottle of Lambrini and a park bench. <laughs> exactly, exactly, yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, and you can get Lambrini very cheap in Aldi, I've heard. Yeah, yeah, and, <laughs> and Iceland. Yeah. <laughs> it's, um, to, to be honest, you've kind of touched on um, the question that I had in mind, which was uh, what are the hard lessons that consultants have probably learned? But I think some of them are starting to probably come out now where you know, either you've taken action or you've done something to work on your business rather than in your business. And then, yes. you know, you're, you're going to see some results going forward. I mean, I can, I can give you an example. There's, there's one company who uh, we, we deal with and we've actually done a, a reasonable amount of work with them throughout the, the whole lockdown uh, where most yeah. companies were, were not hiring uh, everything on hold. Uh, they, these guys have pretty much rebuilt their you know, one of their teams, and uh, all all of it's come through us. And I was speaking to the the uh, the director, and he said, "Well, one thing I've noticed definitely is my phone doesn't ring as often as oh, why is that? I was like, these recruiters are not calling me. He's like, I'm on the phone to you for nearly an hour a day. Yeah, because <laughs> we, we had a really good relationship. We were talking about yeah. our kids and." Uh, you yeah. know, we're, we're getting on really, really well. And I was, I was talking about the podcast, and uh, if, if he'll know who it is if he listens to this because I've, I've told him to come, I've asked him to come on here, and yeah. um, he, he refused initially. But um, <laughs> I'm, I'm still in discussion with him. But they, they've uh, rather than sitting back and saying, "Oh, assuming nobody's interested," they've said, um, "You know." If somebody's got land, they're going to do something with it. Somebody's got a building, they're going to want to do something with it. And you, you have this knock-on effect. And the only problem is, is that isn't that people don't have land and buildings that they want something to do with. It's that people are not there to deliver the services because you're not able to. And yeah. 
they assessed me in a slightly different way. And rather than sitting back, they said, okay, cool, we're going to go and do some heavy business development. And yeah. uh, I, mean, he, I hope he doesn't mind me saying this, but I think they probably took a bit of an old school approach where you're you know, on the phones constantly, but brought in an absolute mountain of workload. I, I can relate to it. Just I, I can. You, and it's going to see you through for the rest of the year, never mind just the lockdown. One has to have a sense of perspective. Um, you know, I don't want to sound get too deep and philosophical, but I am firmly of the view that a lot of the success here comes down. Down to mindset. And you know it, if you, you will contact people, you have to be very emotionally resilient. There's no getting away from that. Um, I think anybody who works themselves or anybody that operates in a small business, anybody that has a business development responsibility, you're going to be successful you accept you're going to take a few knockbacks and you have to sort of say to yourself that when someone re rejects something they're not rejecting you as a human being they're not saying you are a bad person they're saying that on this particular day the commercial proposal that you present more specific and tangible thing i'd say to anyone listening today follow up Follow up the follow up and then follow up the follow up of the follow up. I, I cannot begin to tell you or bore you with the whole act of me not taking radio silence as rejection, but actually having the confidence to chibi people a little bit. You know, not harangue people. No one wants to be a pain in someone's backside, but people don't follow up very well and if, if, if you've got a strong follow-up discipline in your business i believe you're much more to me that's like that's a you know i've talked about relationships i've talked about focus if i had if i could have a, a third critical success factor it would be that a, 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 a mindset of follow-up it's, it's critical absolutely critical and people aren't very good at it you know people send an email they don't get an immediate response and they think, oh, they're not interested. That's just not true. They might never even got the email. They might have misplaced the email sometimes. So that, to me, that's a big in. Yeah, absolutely. It's, um, you, you're right in everything that you say. And I think this is where recruiters might get a bit of a, a bad reputation for it because they are the kings of followers. <laughs> they, but, but it's doing it's doing it in a way you've got to have a nice way about you. And I think so, that again, there are cultural differences. And I, I work whilst most of my business is in the UK, I do have the opportunity sometimes to work um, it, it overseas. And I, I, more so, particularly when I work with solicitors and accountants, I can't. I'd say architects. Well, I'm, I'm, I don't know about the wider sort of property service, building services, but there is a, there is a British reservedness and, and reticence and there is a view that, oh, I don't want to appear to be too pushy. Mm. Well, it's not about being pushy, it's about being confident and it's about, um, you know, it's, it, if I'm dealing with in the US, it's totally, they're off the page. In the US, it's almost the other extreme. And I'm saying to people, look, that's just really salesy, you can't do that. It's your business. and. If you're not prepared to make that phone call or have another go, you know what? Someone else will be hungrier than you. One of the things um, I know that if, I don't know whether that you get listeners within the recruit with so within the um, sort of 
well, clearly you're going to get HR professionals because the nature of the, the recruitment business, but the way it was explained to me many years ago, skills and attitudes, knowledge is basically what's on your CV, what experiences do you have? Skills is more about, does this person have a particular attitude for, I don't know, spatial reasoning or numerical reasoning or whatever it is. Mm. But I would argue, certainly from a BD perspective, that those aren't as important as the third aspect, attitude. I, 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 you know, when I hire people, I hire an attitude every day of the week. The best hiring decisions I've ever made in my career have been people that, um, have we got time for one short story? I think we just about have. I was gonna, I was gonna come close to wrapping it up, but my next right. Oh well, I, I can't leave a teaser like that, can I? Yeah. So um, I'll quickly mention it, Bernard. But my 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 next part was just to make you a little bit relatable to some of the companies that I might be working with who who are stressed out, who are constantly yeah. business developing, because that's basically your job, and you're doing that consistently. Um, and and I can't, I can't. The bit where I find that there'll be some bit where you can relate is that there's a certain amount of stress and pressure related to uh, bringing in X amount of revenue yeah. Um, yeah. And, and the work that comes with it as well so that the businesses can continue with their flow. Um, the pressure on you as, as a business owner and somebody who's heavily, well, focused on business development, that's going to relate quite well to some of the companies that I'm working with who might be concerned about basically the same, same issue in itself. Um, and my, my question was going to be, what do you do to switch off? Cause I couldn't, when, once lockdown came in place, I couldn't switch yeah. off. I just found myself yeah. constantly thinking about, gosh, where's it going to come from? Who's going to, who am I going to work with next? Who's going to be the next client? I just could not switch off. And I think that's going to be the same across the board. So, I mean, there's two things I would say, Mohammed. Um, the first thing, so I suppose the, there's two parts of the question. On a personal level, how do I actually personally switch off? Um, my, my passions are football and music are probably my two big ones. Um, very interested in football and music. And every week um, since the lockdown, over the last 12 weeks, um, I produce a Friday Spotify playlist um, which ironically or interestingly I've received a higher level of engagement with my on LinkedIn than any marketing or business development post so any there hasn't been a marketing or business development post in fact the only marketing and business development post in 15 years that's got a bigger level of engagement than my playlists was ironically the day David Bowie died um, when I wrote a LinkedIn post which was what business development lessons can we learn from David Bowie? Well, that, that was just, I got thousands and thousands and thousands of views of that. Um, so that's one of the, the you know, I switch off music and, and football. I think the other part, the other part of the answer is more business related. And I think if you're in a position either as a business owner or as a, somebody with fee earning responsibility in your firm, one of the things I would say is rather than think about the outcome, i.e. rather than focus on the fees, what you should do is you should focus on the inputs. What I mean by that is you can't make anybody instruct your firm. It's not possible. Um, and there will be less opportunities around. So that is stressful. But what you can do or what you've got more control over, because that's what st stress is all about perception of control. That's all stress is. So 
what you can control, I believe, is, is how visible you are in the marketplace. So I think people can manage their stress levels by focusing on what they can control, which is, frankly, picking up the phone, creating content, and being visible on social media. You can control all of that. Now, if you manage those activities, which are all measurable, I would argue, if that's done in a focused, joined up way, and it's targeted, the money will look after itself. And 15 years ago, when I set my own business up, I made a promise to myself that I'd invest in relationships first because I said the checks would follow. And there's been a few bumps in the road. I'm not going to pretend, you know, 2008 was, was tough. We've got, you know, we've, we've got a, um, yeah, there's been, there's been a couple of bumps in the road, but you know what, that ethos has stood 10 and a half in very good stead. It's proved, it's proved a, a winning strategy. I think there's going to be a lot of shift. I think there's going to be a lot of change. And um, even, even me and my business partner were in disagreement on this about whether we should go back to an office full time or whether we shouldn't. And, um, you know, he believes that, you know, the team works better together. And, and, and I agree with him on that. Um, however, we've, already, we've just demonstrated over the last few months that we can do our job without the office. Yeah. So, um, you know, it's, it, we'll see what happens in the future. But is, is there anything that you're really excited to see in the future, Bernard? Well, I'm excited to see in the future. I'm looking well. I'm, I just want to. I, I'm missing my football. I know the Premiership's back, albeit behind closed doors. But I want to go see Mansfield Town again. Uh, I'm, I moan about them a lot, and it's not always of the, you know, highest technical. But it's it's my team. It's my passion, and I really miss the, just miss the buzz. I, I really I, I go home and away, and I I, I do really miss that. And. I, I'm, I, usually I'm able to tie that in with one of my uh, children, uh, Joseph, who comes to matches with me. And we've had some fantastic trips across the UK, you know, Plymouth to Carlisle and all steps in between. And it's the quality time you spend um, sometimes talking about things other than football occasionally. But I, I remember one trip, we were coming back from Plymouth and it's been a really long day. And he said to me, um, Dad, yes, he says, uh, you know, people that aren't interested in football. I said, yeah, I know those sort of people. What do they think about? <laughs> what, 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 what do they think about? I thought, yeah, I don't know. Well, I don't know. What do people think about when they're not at work if they haven't got football? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm the opposite, though, because I'm, I'm, I'm the complete opposite in the sense that I don't follow football. And I don't watch it whatsoever. And uh, it's, it's funny that you said that because... I mean, I've never said it, but I feel like I have a, the the opposite view. Where yeah. I'm thinking, gosh, is that the only thing that these guys talk about? <laughs> well, there's there's room in the world for both types, I'm sure. <laughs> definitely, definitely. But um, look, Bernard, pleasure having you on here. I'm I'm going Thank to you. in in all the posts. If anybody wants any advice or wants to connect with Bernard, um, he he does accept friend requests on LinkedIn. So please do connect with him. Watch out for his music playlist as well. I've been keeping an eye on them. I haven't made any recommendations yet, but um, we'll see what happens. Brilliant. Well, thank you very much. I've enjoyed it. You're welcome. Pleasure, pleasure having you. Thank you for listening, and we really hope you enjoyed it. If you really did like it, don't forget to leave us a review and share it with a colleague who you think might benefit. Don't forget to follow us on all social media pages, including Instagram and LinkedIn. Engineered by Responsum Global. <laughs>